Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today we're going to talk about DNS security and why companies are starting to invest in it on top of everything else that they already own. Now, an enterprise uh, security stack is comprised of dozens of tools, and they're all chosen and applied to cover the attack surface and support all the various SecOps functions like investigation and response, hunting, and so forth. But we're going to dig into why there's so much interest in adding another security tool, the DNS security solution set, on top of that stack, and what impact that's going to have on other tools and on the security operations teams who have to manage it all. Now, to help us do that, we've invited Anthony James, Vice President on the Infoblox product team, to be today's guest. So uh, thank you for joining us, Anthony. Thanks for the invite, Bob. I'm looking forward to it. Well, the first thing I want to do, because um, as you well know, several years ago when we first talked about this, I had to scratch my head at the phrase DNS security because <laughs> I was thinking, well, okay, you want DNS to stay up. Um, I, I don't think that's what we're talking about today. What, what do you mean by DNS security today? Yeah, this, that's a that's a great question. And before I answer it, there's a couple of things I like to to give uh, at least people who hear my my perspective on this uh, a little bit of background. So um, I've been in the industry about 23, 24 years doing cybersecurity. And one of the things that uh, has has been consistent is I've followed technology trends in security. Uh, by that, I mean, I was doing Endpoint back when Endpoint was the only security technology. And then I got into firewalls, uh, a company called Fortinet. I was there for about six years. Um, I was in proxies, as you all know, Bob, you know, which is the, the web gateway. Now we're looking at layer seven. Uh, then I got into advanced malware detection with FireEye. Uh, then I got into uh, cloud access security brokers or cloud-based security. Um, and when, when I landed here at Infoblox and looked at DNS security, the, the question from a lot of colleagues that I'd had over the decades of experience was Infoblox and DNS and security. That doesn't make any sense to me. So I love <laughs> the question because it, it does, like you said in the, in, in the intro, is there's so many security tools, right? We've invested over the years in so many tools. So um, I'll give you my little little perspective on this and, and why it's so important. Um, we've spent decades chasing threats through all those different avenues that I mentioned. And you can name probably a dozen other technologies. Uh, in fact, we just came back from RSA, as you well know, and there were 400 vendors in security. 400 vendors. So at the landscape of, of a security perspective, it's just, it's, it's, it's enormous. Um, DNS security, you know, if you take those two phrases and put them together or those two terms, people get misconfused. And as you say, is it protecting the DNS server? Sure, that's that's one perspective. And there is technologies to protect the DNS server from being attacked and taken offline. And that's kind of a service interruption. But But using DNS as a security control, that's really what we're talking about. And what what I've what I've really fa been fascinated with and love the approach that that at least Infoblox has taken and what the industry I think is catching up to is this idea of using DNS, which is the place that every device goes to to translate. I want to go to this location on the internet, give me the IP address to get there. But imagine if there was a database sitting behind it that said. When you want to go to that place you're asking for, if I know it's malicious, if I know it's going to be a threat actor, if I know it's going to do something bad, then maybe I won't give you the IP address. And so the, the request becomes, ah, I don't even know how to get there anymore, so I'm not going to try. And that's really the, if you boil it down, 
to what we're talking about is using DNS as a way to take threat intelligent information and make a decision, do I service the query or do I not? And that, that's really what we're focused on. Well, and, and you, you, the way you describe it there is I want to make sure everybody picked up on that nuance. You're talking about being able to block it at the DNS request level Yep. Because, I mean, I remember it was around the turn of the millennium uh, when there was the first virus came out yep. that, of course, you know, they're multi-version. So the very first thing, the downloader, it wasn't really the virus. It was just mm -hmm. the downloader. It called directly out to a specific IP address. And so AV security and your, your you know, firewall and SWIG gateway solutions, they were looking for URLs and were caught blind and none of them were able to detect it. Yeah. So they started adding IP addresses right. to their signatures. But there's more you can do than just, I mean, there's the list check. But then if you know what DNS looks like, for example, you can start checking for other things, right? Again, at oh, that early request level. Yeah. I mean, that that idea of I, saying, I said, just take a list of bad places and don't resolve it. That's scratching the surface of using DNS as a security control. Um, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of um, kind of work in, in, in looking at DNS. In fact, I'm taking a, a training course right now on the deep bowels of DNS. And it's fascinating to show that IP addresses on the internet as a static address that you connect to are things of the past. Um, in fact, if you go through DNS training, any type of DNS training, it will tell you that things like mail and other services don't work. Uh, because we have all these other fancy tools that do load balancing and things like that. And, and, and there are services that rely heavily on a domain name versus a static IP address. So that's one way you can say, look, DNS is going to be integral into a security control. But as you say, that's just scratching the surface. There are so many more things that we've realized attackers are leveraging DNS as this kind of open communication channel because no one checks it. Like if you think of a firewall, like the things that we've done in our careers, firewalls, proxies, advanced malware detection tools, CASBs, look at DNS as just a way to translate something from a, no, a good name that we can remember to an IP address. But attackers have realized, well, actually, I can start sending uh, command and control communications through the DNS channel because no one cares. Um, obviously, that's not what we think about and how we, do, we approach the problem, but yeah, it's become this this open channel of of misuse that needs to be um, needs to be protected from. Well, yeah, and I'm thinking of so many different kinds of threats that use DNS. Yeah, I mean, they don't even go out HTTP. They actually can use DNS as the the communication protocol. They they bypass every firewall, DLP, yep. email security because they're not using SMTP, HTTP, HTTPS. They're going out. DNS is a protocol as well. That's right. Yeah, we found we found some malware variants. Of course, that's the research that Infoblox Threat Research Team does. But we found some malware, really fascinating. So the malware gets deployed somehow. Let's let's just ignore the initial part of the the kill chain. But let's say it gets deployed on a laptop or a device inside the network, and it's using DNS and it's it's faking queries but carrying data out of the network. Either it's stealing data, so it's data theft, and just using these what look to every other device on the network as a DNS query, but it's padding little pieces of files behind it, which gets reassembled from the attacker's you know, authoritative DNS server. Um, or it's using it to connect with command and control servers. Because again, as you, as you say, no other security tool cares about DNS. In fact, they all have to pass it. 
if you block port 53, you block the internet. You can't do that. And so they just like let it go and ignore it because no one really inspects the content of a DNS query. They just assume it's, it's a query. Well, and that works two ways too. Cause I mean, um, I, I read, I want to say it was around this past Christmas of a, of a ransomware that was actually using DNS to right. download the encryption key. That's right. Yeah. So they're using it both ways. Absolutely. It's become this, this open channel and it's, it's compounded worse. And you know why? Uh, DNS over HTTPS and DNS over TLS. So now think about it as building blocks. So if I'm an attacker, I've now got this open channel of communication to my endpoints that I'm controlling. So I can either send commands or I can take data out and I can, I can do whatever I need to do using DNS as like this party line. Like, this is great. This is for me an attacker. This is fantastic. I can get in, I can do what I want. And that's okay. Well, now as, a, as an enterprise, if we want to protect ourselves, well, let's start doing some stuff on DNS and look at, looking at DNS inspection. Well, now we've compounded the issue because the standards bodies have said, you know what, DNS should be protected because if you see a DNS query in the open, you can kind of assume where people are traveling. It gives you a little bit of privacy issues. So let's implement DNS over TLS or DNS over HTTPS. So now that channel is not only open to the attackers, it's now encrypted from inside the network. So the endpoint that got infected using DNS is HTTPS port 53 kind of encrypted all the way out to wherever the attacker wants you to go. And you as an enterprise are now blind to the fact that this channel is open. Yeah, because it's not like just regular HTTPS that they can intercept and unpack for inspection nope. and then repack it and put it back on another HTTPS line. This is got to be a solid point-to-point -point encryption. D yeah, but, DNS client to DNS server. You can't interrupt it. And and what you're describing, this goes back to where you were saying that when you joined Infoblox, people said, hold it, Infoblox <laughs> and DNS and security. Oh, yeah. This oh, is yeah. where Infoblox, having 20-plus years of DNS expertise is able to do that machine learning AI stuff yeah. on those packets to identify the the ones that are sending out, you know, data that shouldn't, the the fast right. flux, domain generate. It's it, those are not lists. That's stuff that you've no. got to have some intelligence on. Yeah, there's um so DNS security, if we if you look at it today, uh, I've been in Infoblox three, a little over three years. Back then it was in its in its infancy in terms of adoption by um, enterprise, really. Although it had been around for a while um, and it, it wasn't widely adopted. And of course, we were pushing the angle. And so at that time in its infancy, it was all about, you know, lists of things you don't want to go to and block it. But us being the, the we've been, you know, the, the leader in DNS, at least enterprise DNS infrastructures for 23 years now, I think it is. We realized that there's more stuff going on. As we mentioned, the, the channel can be used for all these other nefarious reasons, not just sending someone to a bad destination, but using the channel, like you say, for um, domain generating algorithms that kind of have a, an enormous list of, of domains that are being flexed and, and kind of rotated around to avoid the list. So now you have to have the DNS experience to say, well, I'm not just going to give you a list. I need to see if someone's got malware that's kind of bouncing and it's bouncing consistently. I need to have inspection of the channel and use AI and machine learning, which is what we've invested tremendous amounts of resource and, and use into that can see that this, this is not just someone trying to move traffic. It's someone trying to bounce through these random domains or it's doing a fast flux. So it's bouncing IP addresses really quickly 
or it's doing some other type of a sophisticated DNS manipulation to get around the so-called threat intel and things like that. And that's where we've leveraged a lot of our expertise is to identify and protect from that. Now, on Threat Talk, we've had a couple of podcasts where we focused on healthcare, mm-hmm. oil and gas, the energy sector. These are groups that they're doing things with a lot of you know operational technologies yep. or yep. IoT. And those things are also going to be I mean, this is another place where DNS comes in because DNS is protocol agnostic. It doesn't care what your OS is. It doesn't care, oh, only Windows and Linux support. It does it all. Absolutely. That that's where I found such a such a beautiful idea around DNS as a security control. If you think about it, like take take a giant leap back and you ask yourself, what devices use DNS? And for, actually, there's a lot of I, I have an icebreaker when I walk into a forum and I've got to do a big presentation and I say to I say, I'm gonna give two assumptions that will ring true for every single one of you. A, you have IP addresses and you probably use DHCP, and B, you use DNS. And they're all hundred percent true. Because every device on the network, if it has to communicate to an outside entity, requires DNS. And the what, what you're describing there is the absolute pure value of DNS as a security control, because it's a giant blanket over everything. Okay, we, we always talk about computers, servers, laptops, uh, smart devices, phones, and iPads, and so forth. They all use DNS as your browse, different types of, of um, outside locations. But anything that has a communication with an outside entity, like Think about uh, an IoT device, like you say, a thermostat that is being cloud controlled requires DNS. So if that's compromised, an ATM going to a management platform uses IP communications and DNS. Uh, OT technology, even though the OT might be a particular protocol like SCADA, the management platform is probably IP and is going to use DNS. And so I, I look at the, the verticalization and oftentimes people struggle with, well, what do I do for IoT security? Or what do I do for OT security? Or, or what do I do for this particular type of unique infrastructure, like endpoints in cars? They all use DNS and they're all going to, as if you look across the network, a centralized DNS infrastructure that is already configured for the entire network devices that attach. So it's, it's such an easy process where you can say, well, I already have DNS configured. I'm just going to redirect this DNS to another DNS solution that has this security capability built in. So all queries then go to that secondary or that that recursive DNS. And that becomes the authority to make decisions, to inspect the protocols. And it's not like, Bob, you and I spent so many years trying to figure out, well, I got to get a proxy in the network. That's an, that's an architectural redesign. Firewalls, architectural redesigns advanced threat detection solutions, CASBs. I've got to architect the network. DNS is already architected to everything goes to a central place. You just add some additional intelligence on that or you have that redirect to another DNS server that has the intelligence. You're done for everything on your network. It's awesome. And you just gave me a segue there too because uh, one of the things I wanted to highlight um, because a large portion of our our audience here is um, actually we have a lot of students. We have a lot of people that are in their first several years of their career. Um, you know, and we're making an assumption based on the kinds of question we get. People who are trying to understand this. Sure. Now, DNS security is something that, as you and I know, because we've been deep in the industry, it's been around for quite a while. Oh, absolutely. It's always been the VLEs, super large organizations, global yep. enterprises, things like that. And a lot of that was because they had to have their own DNS resolvers and yep. house and things like that. But now it's become, like you said, so easy that it's coming down market. I mean, that's what Absolutely. you're seeing a lot right now. 
A- absolutely. And it's, it's, it's the right way to go down to a smaller, smaller infrastructure. Because if you think about, again, all the security stuff that we've helped build in the industry, proxies and firewalls and CASBs and, and all these, these very, very cool tools, they've been geared towards large infrastructures that have the team and the technology to deploy and manage and do all this stuff. Um, everyone uses DNS. And so what we're seeing is, as you go down to smaller infrastructures, they have to make a trade-off oftentimes, you know, even small, medium business. Do I invest in a, in a really good firewall or do I use a basic firewall and have some antivirus? Well, DNS becomes one of those discussions where it's, it's a no-brainer. I can just add DNS security to my existing network and everything is covered. Everything, like everything. And that's where I get obviously very excited about it. But it becomes uh, the pricing perspective is much more amenable to organizations of any size. And it, it just scales because it's doing the DNS queries anyway. You're just making an additional set of inspections and decisions based on threat intelligence and machine learning that it's already there. Like it's, it doesn't matter how big or small you are, you can take advantage of it and get benefit for everything you connect to your network or remote or at home. It's not always just on the network. It's everywhere. Well, um, we're actually, we are moving along much more quickly than I thought we would. Um, so I'm, I'm trying well, to cherry pick all day, Bob, about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Some of the, some of the things I wanted to ask, I want to cherry pick in the, and one of them is, I want to shift to the impact this has on the security stack, which we talked about earlier yep. and, and yep. you mentioned as well. They've got so many other tools. What's the impact of, I think you call it shifting left. I do, yeah. Where yeah. at that early DNS request, before the URL gets requested from the gateway, before the firewall is asked, hey, can I connect to that website? Yep. At the early DNS request, if I can stop it there, what kind of impact does that have on the rest of the security stack? That's a that's a great question. Let's let's explain what that shift left means. I'm I'm actually I'm in the midst of writing some slides about this, and I'm trying to do something at a trade show to have someone move left against a graphic and have it change imagery. And and I'm really excited about the idea. Um, what does it mean shifting left? So oftentimes, and I know we're tired of the phrase kill chain. We don't use it much anymore. But there's a there's a sequence of events that has to happen from the starting point of an attack to the result of it being executed. And for example, if you take a virus, someone has to go to a location, download a file, run the file or open the file, and then it has to go through a process and attach itself to that device. And that's, that's if you think about the kill chain, there was connecting to a website, there was downloading the content, there was opening the content, and then there was the actual in- installation of the malware. So there's a series of events. and. Um, trying not to call it kill chain, let's just call it the attack sequence for now. Um, I know that kill chain's overused, but the attack sequence. So if you think about the endpoint, that's the last place that the attack wants to land, right? So that's what I would consider if you're looking left to right, that's the very far right of the equation. A lot of things happened up until that point for that device to finally get compromised. Now, there's a way that you can try to protect from there, and that's using antivirus or EDR, endpoint detection remediation software. That's kind of your, your, your last line of defense, if you will. Um, and yeah, you could say, you know what? The only thing I'm going to do is use software on the endpoints, and I'm done. That's one, one technology and, and one approach. No one would do that on, in isolation, but that's one approach, right? Now, what if I said I want to go a little bit earlier on in the sequence of events well maybe i can do something in the cloud so that when my 
internal user clicked on a link or downloaded a file before the file got delivered back into my network there was a little bit of cloud out there that said you know what this file looks bad i won't let the won't let it come into the network so i've kind of gone a little bit closer or earlier on in the sequence of events and in the in the attack sequence so that's shifting a little bit left or i could say my firewalls right my firewalls inside my, my network or inside my home wherever i am they could have some technology that says, hey, you're, you're downloading content before I get it to the device. You know what? That looks a little bit suspicious. I'm not going to let you have it. And so I've shifted a little further left. But the real shifting all the way left in the attack sequence is when I submit the request to download the content, I get a DNS query going to a DNS server. If the DNS server says, you know what? Where you're going is bad. I've shifted all the way left. So, and I think you asked the question, what does that mean? It means my firewall never saw it. My cloud security platform never saw it. My endpoint didn't even see it. I've now saved a bunch of cycles, network traffic. Sometimes my cloud security platforms charge me the overcharges. I've reduced the amount of traffic they see. I've reduced my firewall performance or increased my firewall performance by reducing the burden of having to send it traffic. All of the devices never even saw the fact that there was a threat at some point that could have been downloaded because it was caught all the way at the starting point of the attack cycle. So that's what I call shifting left. Well, you know, today I know a lot of people are moving a lot of their security tools, like their firewalls. They're using cloud-based firewalls and stuff, but there's still a lot with, with those appliances. And I remember when firewalls first came out because yep. that's how long I've been in this industry when the only two security tools you could buy was desktop antivirus and a firewall. They didn't have server AV, none mm -hmm. of the rest of that stuff. But firewall hardware at the time, it was built for I.O. There was yep. slow, cheap uh, CPUs, minimal RAM. They didn't need that. Then they started adding the AV capability. And all of a sudden, right. they got a lot more expensive because they added, had to add more hardware. Yep. Then when they started the machine learning and analysis and you know, mm -hmm. not quite sandboxing, they normally send that to a different device. But when they start doing more and more on that box, now it's got to have everything it's got to be built for maximum io yep. and it's got to be built for maximum uh cpu and analysis maximum amount of ram as it's holding and and caching things uh to be analyzed they get very expensive oh yeah and i recall uh, a company that they had a rack of firewalls mm -hmm. but when they started blocking at the dns level their load was so low they said hey guess what we got a couple of brand new cold spares they were able to yep. unrack a couple yep. of them put them on a shelf because the main thing was they mentioned was the analyzing of malware. They weren't yeah. to analyze malware. There was hardly any malware to analyze anymore. Again, they were back to where they just needed an IO design box, That's right. a CPU intensive box. Because, um, and I've seen this statistic in a variety of places, but about 90% of all your malware, which is now multi-stage, you get the dropper file, you get another yeah. loader, then they download tools. All of those download requests between them all use DNS. That's right. That's right. And so you have so many opportunities to intercept and block this before the virus is even being downloaded, which means the firewall never sees the virus. Yep. Even if it got through the first one or two steps, somewhere along there, it's going to get caught. That's right. That's exactly right. The way, the way I try to I show people, I'm, I'm actually doing some graphics around this. Like, let's say you have a a channel that's this big of, of, of your firewall, it can process. And we all, we all know firewalls are size based on how much can it cope within traffic. So let's say this is a firewall that can cope with it. And let's say that's the amount of traffic. We've maximized the amount of traffic going through it. 
Now, if we say that the top 5% is malicious, well, the firewall has to do more work to process that because it's inspecting the traffic than the rest. But let's say I took that 5% and DNS said, you know what, I'm not even going to send it to the firewall. Now my, my processing is down to here. Let's say it's 10% of malicious traffic. Let's say it's 20, 30, 40. So basically, the more you can process at the DNS layer, that saves the firewall from having to A, accept the request in the first place, B, inspect the traffic, C, make a decision. Like you've just saved resources on the firewall. And as much as we know firewalls are advancing in, in their hardware specs, they are still sized based on how much they can cope with. So the less I give it, the more life I give it, the longer it will stay in production. I don't have to upgrade it later. Or like you say, I can decommission a firewall because I've saved so much traffic and use it as a spare. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, that's the thing that just amazes me is um, I, I got involved with hardware early on in my life and I vowed I would never do it again um, because you could build. I saw, you know, a case where I went out to one customer that had bought 10 of my tape backup drives. And as I opened them up, they were all exactly the same. Everything was the same until I found that one chip on two of them was wrong. And then it didn't work. It had yeah. nothing to do with our software or anything because we were using third-party hardware, but they changed one stinking little chip on this mini motherboard. Yeah. And it screws yeah. everything up. Um, and by taking everything off of those devices, you're, you're eliminating one uh, another point of failure in your network. I, I like that idea. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's shift to, because we're down to about our last five minutes. Okay. Uh, the last key area I wanted to get into was we've talked about the, the benefits we've talked about the, mm -hmm. the shifting left and the benefits to the other tools. What about the people who have to manage it? SecOps, what are, what are they going to see out of DNS? Cause traditionally my only experience with DNS was in hunting. I right. used DNS records a lot for hunting, but that's it. I just, that was all I used the data. Yep. Yep. And that, that, so, so there's a couple of points to, to touch on that. So Infoblocks, if you don't know about us from our networking equation, have this combined platform that, that is a DNS solution for enterprises. Uh, it's also a DHCP solution. So we, are, we can provide a, a singular uh, primary infrastructure for all the IP address leasing. And on the back of that, we build a database we call an IPAM database, which stands for IP address management. So basically, every time we give out an IP address, we record that information into a database. And so where this starts to really shine and where SecOps can see an enormous amount of value is, like you say, they use DNS for threat hunting, of course, to figure out where did someone go and how, what was the, the bouncing ball to finally get that attack. But if you couple that with the combined data of IPAM, which is the recording of every device that attaches to your network, every IP address that was ever given out and everyone who's, who's logged on or authenticated, now I have this pot of gold, meaning that if, for example, the DNS uh, server that's doing the security says, hey, someone just connected to a command and control network. We blocked it, of course, but this is the person and the device and where they're located on the network because all of that information is maintained on the networking side. And by bringing it into the security world, which we, of course, as you know, but we do that automatically, uh, we give you the answer that all security uh, threat responders, you know, security operations, investigators are looking for is the who, what, where, when, how, right? Um, we don't have to go and reverse engineer this through a SIM or correlation of logs. We can just say, hey, this IP address 
give me everything you know about it and we can come back with everything from the device type, the operating system, the user that's logged on, where they are on the network and the last 10 queries they did to, to land on that bad place. So it's, well, a, that's, it's that's a value. That's a big time saver because oh, I yeah. know um, when I was doing, you know, analysts would spend hours just downloading and accessing all the logs that they yeah. need in the first place. Um, so just collecting the data can, can be a problem. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, they may have everything in the SIM, but the SIM, it, you know, it's, it's on a schedule. It may not have the latest. So exactly. they're still out doing a lot of hunting yeah. for data before they can start hunting for the problem. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And we, because this, this IPAM, if you haven't heard of it before, IP address management database is a live database, meaning that if I give your device an IP address, I'm recording it right now. And so if, if you have, if you log on with a threat, as soon as you attach to the network and it's identified, there's no updating of logs. It's like, well, we just recorded Bob's IP address on this device and Bob logged in and he's at home. I can go straight in when I see that thread on another console. Oh, it's Bob. Hey, Bob, can you, I shut your laptop down. You got a ransomware download. We've got to fix it first. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because this is technology that everybody thinks of traditionally, IPAM and it's all, oh, that's on my network, that's but what right. about when I'm remote? Yeah. And, and it now actually extends to your workers wherever they are. It really, it really does. Well, unfortunately, but uh, it's typical for this, this, this show. We're running out of time. Um, but I am, am glad, I'm really glad that we were able to get on a couple of the key points that I had in this very long list of questions for you yeah. and covered DNS security. So thank you for lending us uh, your expertise today, Anthony. My pleasure, Bob. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you to all our viewers and listeners for your time as well. Join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk.